Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? We are really going to miss the Pirtles, aren't we? And uh, what a blessing they've been in the years they've been here, and they're going to keep being a blessing to the kingdom of God, though, as they go to Fredericktown. Is that right? Did I say that right? Fredericktown. And so you pray for them as they uh, make their new home back there, and God will use them in a wonderful way. But you've got to come back and visit us sometimes, okay? Come back and sing for us sometime. Amen. Okay, we have Children's Church. Uh, so you kids, if you want to go to the back of the sanctuary, we have folks back there to take you to Children's Church. And while they're going, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to you for your love for us and for giving us the privilege of having faith in you. And you put it in our hearts that we might have faith. And thank you for the faith that has just been sung about so beautifully by Rachel and by Reuben and Isaac. And Lord, we do believe. We believe in you. We believe your word. And we know that just as uh, it said of Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's so simple that we just put our trust our faith in you and you then forgive us and you make us righteous by your power and grace and thank you for the reminder of the faith that we believe that uh, they have just shared with us so beautifully we pray for the purdles that you'll bless them as they move to fredericktown and we pray you'll use them mightily bless each one and lord provide for all of their needs and we thank you that when we're Christians, we're part of your family wherever we live, all Christians everywhere. And so we thank you for what you're going to do, continue to do in the life of this family. Lord, we pray you'll bless us now as we open the Bible. You speak to our hearts, lead us, and help us to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Philippians 2. We're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and we come to this passage in Philippians 2, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, verses 18 through 30. And here we find Paul as he continued to write to the church at Philippi. And he was in prison, you remember, uh, when he was writing this. And we see a glimpse here of what we can be like, how we can be together as fellow believers, fellow servants, because he talks about two friends here, two fellow workers in the kingdom of God. Uh, and the way he describes them, I think, becomes a model for what we should want to aspire to, to let God use us the way that he used Paul and these two that he describes. They were like-minded. And Paul says very clearly here, as we're going to read the passage that there weren't many that were like-minded with him. He didn't have many around him at that moment as he wrote from prison in Rome. He didn't have many who were like-minded. And he really appreciated these two that he talks about because they were like-minded. And we should be like-minded. The word literally means same-souled. We should have the same heartbeat, the same desire the same purpose, and Paul talks about that. So follow with me 
I'll start with verse 18. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul here talks about these two friends. This is in the middle of this letter he's writing to the church at Philippi. And so he's concerned about that church. Here was Paul in prison. Now that's, a, that's a message in itself. Uh, he wasn't just thinking about himself. He could have been completely focused on, woe is me, I'm in prison. Look what's happening to me. I'm in such terrible conditions What's going to happen to my life? But even in the prison, he was thinking about how is the kingdom of God doing? How is the church at Philippi doing? He was, he was worried about them, concerned for them. He wanted to know what was happening there. And so he wants to send messengers uh, Timothy and then Epaphroditus who had come from there to see how he was doing. He was going to send Epaphroditus back to the church at Philippi. And in verses 19 to 21, he uses this term like-minded. He said, I have no one like-minded. He didn't have many people at Philippi at that time that he thought would be like-minded with him to check on the conditions there at the church. And so he wanted to send uh, these two brothers there so that he could then get a report back as to how things were going there. He wanted them to grow in their faith. So Paul was concerned there might be trouble at the church. So if you have experienced trouble in churches over the years, welcome. It's all, go all the way back to the first century. Churches have had problems since the church was founded. You know why churches have problems sometimes? Because we're here. People, human beings, we are not perfect. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we, we get on our high horse. Sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Sometimes 
we're sad and discouraged and down and despairing. And uh, when we get like that, sometimes we don't make good decisions. And we don't apply ourselves. And we don't do the things we ought to do. This is the human condition in a fallen and sinful world. And as Christians, we have the power, the power of God in us to rise above all of that and to live on a different level, a different plane spiritually, but we, we don't always stay there. And so the church, the people, we are the church. And so we are not going to be absolutely perfect 100% of the time. I don't know what percentage we are, but it's sure not 100%. And so churches have difficulties sometimes. And churches have highs and lows and valleys in between. But God is faithful. And here was the Apostle Paul concerned about what was happening at that church. We ought to be concerned about what's happening through God's church. And we ought to do all that we can to make ourselves available so that the Lord can use us for his kingdom, for his kingdom's work. Timothy came from, uh, uh, you could say, a mixed situation, ethnically, spiritually. His father was a Greek who evidently was an unbeliever. His mother, Eunice, as well as his grandmother, Lois, they were believers. We know that. And over time, Paul came to trust Timothy so completely that he became almost like a kind of a stand-in for the Apostle Paul. He could send him somewhere, and he had confidence that if he sent Timothy somewhere, that he would not only be able to minister to the people to whom he was sent in the right way, but that he would be able to size things up and assess things the way that Paul would. And so he really depended on him. One writer uh, says that Timothy was fat. Now, I'm not insulting him. F-A-T. He was faithful, available, and teachable. So we ought to aspire to be fat spiritually, right? Faithful, available, and teachable. Now, if you tell one of your fellow Christians that they are fat and mean it as a compliment, they're not going to take it as a compliment, okay? But just know for yourself, you want to be faithful, available, and teachable. And that was certainly true of Timothy. Paul seems to imply in verse 20 when he says that he has no one who is like-minded. Uh, he's saying there are very few people that he could, he could depend on like that. And as I said, that word, it, it has been translated same-souled. In other words, with the same desire, the same purpose. And that purpose being the things of Christ. For everyone, he says, seeks their own. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now here was the Apostle Paul in the first century. Uh, the church was beginning to grow and expand and you would think that, you know, you hear people say, if we could just get back to the way things were in the first century, we would be exactly where we need to be. Well, how were things in the first century? Paul said, for all seek their own and not the things of Christ Jesus. 
So if you've ever had that feeling in the 21st century, all are just thinking about their own agenda, their own things, no concern about the things of God, no concern about the, the things of Christ. If you've ever had that thought and that feeling, that's the way they felt in the first century. Because again, human nature is no different now than it was then. And so this is always the struggle. It is always the struggle for the church in every generation that we keep our focus on the things of Christ, not on our own things, our own agenda, our own pride, our own will, but instead on the things of God. As it has been said by uh, one commentator that I read, the world looks for winners, God looks for servants. When we get to heaven, we aren't going to be asked if we were winners or losers on the earth. Forget about your one lost record. The one thing we will want to hear is for Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant, servant. And so what the Lord is, is asking of us is that we be servants, his servants, and that we be faithful to him by putting him and the things of the kingdom of God first, and that it not be said of us, for they seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, God knows we have the things in our own lives we have to deal with. We have to, we have to work. We have to have a place to live. We have family. There are things that we have to attend to, but we can always keep it in the right perspective, knowing that apart from God and his kingdom and our relationship to him, all of those things are going to pass away. And the only thing that's going to be eternal is our relationship to God and the people that we help to bring into relationship to God. That's what will last. And so we need to keep the things of Christ at the forefront. And remarkably, when we do that, then God has a way of helping us to take care of the things that we have to attend to. He helps us to do that. He provides what we need, not necessarily what we want, but what we need. And so we need to be like-minded, wanting Jesus Christ to be lifted up and glorified in all things, wanting his name to be declared, wanting the Bible to be taught and believed and shared as the word of God, which it is, and to tell people that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, that we might have eternal life. Those are the heart, that's the heart of our faith, the things of Christ, the kingdom of God. That's what we want to hold forth to this world, that they might come to know him. And then when he talks here about Timothy, he describes him as a person who is dependable, a person of dependable and proven character. Look what he says here in verse 22, but you know his proven character character unlike the mass of people whom Paul said uh, there's not hardly anyone there's no one who's like-minded but people are putting their own agenda for their own things first and not the things of Christ but you know his proven character meaning Timothy 
that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul said that after many months and perhaps years of apprenticeship like a son with a father, that Timothy had proven himself. Timothy had proven himself. You know his character, Paul said. He had been tested, and he had proven to be someone who could be trusted. It was the idea of demonstrating under pressure that you have the right stuff. Now, how did Timothy prove himself? By sticking with Paul and with the gospel through thick and thin, in hard times and in good times, by being willing to tackle the difficult tasks, by not cutting and running when things got hard or when there was opposition, by doing whatever needed to be done, being willing to be a servant, doing the dirty stuff, you might say, the dirty work, the things that had to be done that nobody else would ever know about, things he wouldn't receive praise for, but he was willing to be a servant. Now think about that. Does that happen overnight? Does somebody prove themselves overnight? There may be some huge situation or task that somebody does a tremendous job in, and almost overnight you take notice of a person and you see great things in a person, but to really be able to say that they have proven themselves and that they have a character that is dependable, that generally takes time, doesn't it? Over time to see how a person deals with the things that they come up against in life. But we live in a day where people want instant spirituality. They want instant spiritual maturity. Tell me the book I can read. And when I've finished reading that book, I've got it. I'm spiritually mature. That's the way some people think. It doesn't work that way. There, there are wonderful books that will help us down that road. But time is required to have maturity. Think about a child that's born. Does a child become instantly mature? It takes years, doesn't it? Years and years. Experience after experience. Heartache after heartache. And eventually, the hope is, that will be a mature adult. And spiritually, it takes time for us to grow and develop and to mature and it's not something we can just rush and make it happen instantly. It's not that we don't have all that we need. The Lord Jesus Christ lives in us. His Spirit lives in us. He provides what we need. But it does take time. And here was Timothy who had grown and developed. And now Paul was able to say of him, he has proven character. He has proven himself as one uh, Christian writer I believe it was uh, Charles Swindoll said uh, the equation is T plus D equal G T plus D equal G math was certainly not my thing but here this means T equal time 
D equal discipline, and that produces growth. Time plus discipline produces growth. And so we try to take the time out of it, and we don't like to be disciplined, but we want the growth. It just doesn't usually work that way. So that's why it takes commitment. It takes a love of God and a commitment to what God says in his word. And when we're willing to apply ourselves over a period of time, uh, then we can grow in our faith and become strong. Now, don't misunderstand me. You become a Christian the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. But you're like a newborn baby. I'm like a newborn baby at that moment. And then the rest of your life is this process of growing in your faith to become all that God wants you to be. Here was Timothy who had believed in Jesus Christ who now had become more mature in his faith. So much so that Paul commended him. And we ought to want to be that kind of a person. That we will come to that place where we have proven and dependable character. And God will do that in your life, in my life, if we will give ourselves over to him. Through his word, through service in his church, through prayer, through sharing him with others. God will use us and help us to grow in our faith. And then a third thing here, they were bound together, bound together in service. There's nothing like serving with someone that binds you together with that person because then you have a common experience or many common experiences in which you, you really become bonded. You, those of you who served in the military, I mean, I hear some of you talk about you, you stay in touch with people that you served with sometimes 20, 30, 40 years ago or longer. You, you bonded with those people because you served together with them. That's the same thing that happens spiritually uh, with the people of God. We are a family of faith. And as we serve the Lord together, as we go through the ups and downs of service, the high points and the difficult moments, then God uses that to bind us together. And that's what had happened with another, a second friend here, Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And he describes him here in three ways. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was a leader in the church at Philippi. So the church that Paul was writing to. And that church had sent him to Rome to help Paul. To let Paul know that they, they, were, they were praying for him. And to do what he could to be of assistance to him. Now, his name is not mentioned anywhere else. Now, there's an Epaphras over, I believe, in Colossians. Some think it's the same person, but it doesn't say that. It may, it may have been the same man, but it also may have been a totally different person. But we don't have a lot of information about Epaphroditus except what we have right here. And we know enough about him from this passage to know that he took up that task to go to Rome. Now that was a little daunting in itself because they knew Paul was in prison. 
just by going there and trying to find him and trying to do what he could to help him. That was a dangerous journey. It was a dangerous task. And yet he was willing to go. We don't know that he was a preacher. He may have been a layman, uh, a deacon. We don't know a lot about him. But he was a person that they had a lot of confidence in and that Paul had a lot of confidence. He called him a, a brother, members of the same family. We are one, aren't we, in Christ? And he felt like he was one with this man. And then he called him a fellow worker, members of the same team, in other words. Members of the same team. We should always remember we're on the same side. We're on the same team. And sometimes Christians can get at odds with each other to the point that it's not even, it's not even visible that we're on the same side. The only thing that matters is that we are on the Lord's side, right? And we're striving for the gospel so that others may come to know Christ and grow and develop in their faith. And then he calls him a fellow soldier, warriors for the same cause, sold out to Jesus Christ. They were bound together in this service. And it says about him, but... Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. He had helped Paul. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. What happened to this Epaphroditus? We don't know exactly what the sickness was, but he got sick. He left Philippi, went to find Paul to minister to him, and somewhere along that way, he became very ill. In fact, Paul says, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. He nearly died from the illness. And apparently they had heard about that back at Philippi. And so now Paul is sending him back to Philippi, where he came from, because he wanted them to be assured that he was going to be okay, that Epaphroditus was going to be okay. God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He was already sorrowing. He already had suffering because he was in prison. And Paul is saying, if he had died, God knew that that might have been almost more than I could take. Sorrow upon sorrow. But the Lord spared him. And now I'm sending him back to you. So they had become bonded together in service and that happens with us when we are willing to serve the lord together over the course of time and across many years we become like family and sometimes uh, people you get to know in a church family you become actually closer to them that you than you are to members of your own family have you experienced that that can happen. Now, sometimes it's just because you see those people a lot more, and you may have family, and they live a long way off. But sometimes it's also because of this thing of bonding together, bound together for the cause of Christ, and you become close to someone in a way that you don't with other people. And so it is truly a remarkable thing. And here was Paul heaping praise on these two. And he wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was praising these two who were serving together with him. When he calls him your messenger, Paul uses an interesting word here. He uses the same word 
the Greek word for apostle. Now, I don't think he's calling him an apostle like Paul was an apostle. But the word apostle literally means a messenger, one who is sent. And so he uses this word as a way to designate that Epaphroditus was truly a messenger from that church and a messenger for Christ. And that is a as high praise for him to use that term in the general sense for Epaphroditus. And they had gone, the, the church had sent him to help Paul, and he did that in a wonderful way. By putting these kinds of terms together and all of this praise for these two men, Paul made clear that he was holding these two servants in esteem. And in fact, he says to them, that they should hold them in esteem because of their service for Christ. It's said about Ronald Reagan that he had a slogan that was displayed on his desk at the White House that said, there is no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. No limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Paul was not about pushing himself forward and wanting all of the credit. He was willing to give praise to those who were serving the Lord faithfully. We need to do more of that, don't we? We need to do more of that. In our own families, in the family of God, it's so easy to be critical and to criticize what we think is lacking in people and to never say a word of good when we see people serving the Lord faithfully. We need to be focused on doing that. And the amazing thing is you get more of that when you begin to recognize that in people. Sold out for the kingdom of God in these final verses. That's what we need to be just as they were. And he was talking about Epaphroditus who faced all of these dangers Put his life in jeopardy. In fact, he says of him, Receive him therefore in the Lord, verse 29, with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This is a person who was sold out for the kingdom. He was willing to put his own life at risk put aside his own comfort to give his time to give his all so that what needed to be done for the name of Christ could be accomplished think about what he did he left home he made a dangerous journey to an unfamiliar place he went to a different culture he was exposed to all kinds of danger far from family and friends and he nearly died in the experience Why would he do that? Why would he put himself in that position? Because of the kingdom of God. Because of the name of Christ. Because he wanted to help Paul accomplish the calling that he had been called to. So imagine this ad, if this ad ran in the paper. Wanted, understudy for a well-traveled but trouble-prone missionary must be able to suffer illness and hardship without complaining, 
travel to distant countries and be separated from your loved ones for long periods of time, to teach and be taught, to evangelize, organize, and be flexible when nothing goes right, must put up with low pay, long hours, high stress, and intense opposition, often attacked, occasionally stoned, beaten weekly, frequently arrested, interested applicants should contact the Apostle Paul. Well, Epaphroditus, he may not have known all of that was going to happen, but he knew it was possible. And yet he went, didn't he? He went. And he let God use him in a powerful way because he was sold out for the kingdom of God. So from these two men, these two friends of Paul, we see some things to strive for in our own Christian lives. Be like-minded, like-minded with Christ, focused on the things of Christ and not on just our own agenda. Be people of dependable and proven character. Let the Lord mature us and grow in our faith. Be bound together in service. To be bound together with someone in service means you have to serve. You have to be willing to serve. And be sold out for the kingdom of God. Whatever it takes for Christ to be lifted up and for his will to be done, that becomes our will. And so that's what led Paul to write so wonderfully about these two men. We can be the Timothys, the Epaphroditus's of this day if we let God have control in our lives. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for these two men lived so long ago and yet we're still learning from their example. And thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you used him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth of that day. And Lord, we are here today because you sent the gospel to Gentiles. And so we're thankful for that ministry and for these who helped in that ministry. And Lord, you still are at work in our world today. There's so many lost people. And so show us, Lord, how we can be available to you, how we can be faithful to you and give us the desire to do whatever it takes to lift up the name of Christ in every way. Lord, if there's someone here today now who needs to make a, a specific decision, a commitment to you, it may be to ask Jesus to come into their life, forgive their sin. They need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Give them right now the willingness to say, Jesus, I do believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. And Lord, we know that you promise that when someone calls upon your name in that way, believes in their heart what you have done for them, you promise they will be saved. And so we praise you and thank you for your salvation, your forgiveness. And we now ask in this time of invitation that if uh, those 
There are those who need to make a public stand for Christ. It may be to say, I've accepted Jesus into my life. And I want to tell the world that I belong to him. This may be the first time someone's had the chance to do that. Or maybe there have been many times. But this is the moment they're going to take their stand for you. It may be that someone needs a church home. And you're leading them to this church to serve here, to be bound together with the people in this place for the kingdom of God, then give your direction and your courage to respond and to be obedient. We want your will to be done. You lead us now and help us to be willing to follow you. And we'll give you the praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.